I was okay being like, okay, I'm never going to give birth. Okay. Let me grieve that. Okay. I'll probably never be able to breastfeed my child. Okay. Let me grieve that. And then everything else I'm like, but it's got to be an infant, but I want to name it. I just like held onto it so, so, so tight. Yeah. We weren't really fully embracing our reality at that point. We were just trying to kick the can down the road a little bit and push off some of the pain of having to grieve that we were infertile. And if we would have really done that and embraced who we were in our reality in the beginning, we would have saved ourselves a lot of of pain, a lot of money. And it's all because we weren't really willing to look at one another and say, this is our story. When Jesse and Doug got married, they immediately began to make plans for having the large family that they had always wanted. But after five years of trying to conceive, they discovered that each have serious infertility issues. After a variety of infertility treatments over several years, it became obvious that they were not going to be able to conceive a child. They now have one adopted son and are currently fostering a nine-year-old girl. After years of struggling with infertility, they decided that more needs to be done for those dealing with the pain of trying to conceive. And with that, Uniquely Knitted was born. It was born out of this story and their desire to use their experiences to support the infertility community. Their journey of giving back started with a gift. By sending those struggling with infertility a care box, they were able to see them in their struggles to help prove to them that they are not alone. From there, Uniquely Knitted has grown into a licensed nonprofit organization on a mission to heal the traumas of infertility and end the isolation associated with struggling to get pregnant. For third place podcast listeners, you know that we recently talked about infertility and we were able to share positive stories where mothers and families were able to conceive and give birth. Jesse and Doug's story, which you'll hear in a second, is a different path that led them on the journey to adoption, filled with twists and turns, incredible moments of pain, incredible moments of joy. If you or someone you know is struggling with infertility, we encourage you to also check out Jesse and Doug's podcast, Infertility Feelings. Let's welcome Jesse and Doug. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. Well, bringing Jesse and Doug onto the show is such an honor. Not only are you fellow podcasters yourself, but this is the first time we get to bring in both a married couple and a male and female perspective at the same time. So thank you so much, uh, the two of you, for being here. You are so welcome. We are happy to be here. We're excited. excited. Yeah, we're really, we're really excited. And, you know, I really just kind of want to dive right in. Your journey started with infertility, but quickly moved to adoption. Isn't that right? That's right. Yep. We, uh, we've, we still actually, I guess technically you could say we're still struggling with infertility. We've yet to ever be able to uh, conceive a child. So we're going on, gosh, was it like 10 years? Mm -hmm. It's got to be about 10 years, but it was probably two or three years before we, before we adopted. Um, So yeah, that's, that's us. Yeah. So can you kind of walk us through like, you know, the start of you deciding that you wanted to have a child and then what that looked like and, and how you 
you know, ended up adopting, didn't even mean to say that, but adopting the, the title of infertility. We started trying, went on that like trip of like, oh, let's start to have a baby trip and go off birth control. And we went to New York City, which was hilarious because it's like New York City. That's not a place to start having a baby. That's like you're exhausted by the end of the day. Like you're in a stinky subway, like not the right choice. Um, But then we went um, uh, on for a year and started trying and just quickly realized, hmm, I think something's wrong. So we went to the doctor. We both got checked. We both came out that we both have issues. So I think that was the start of the infertility was Doug got checked first he had issues so we thought maybe it was only going to be him and then I got checked and had issues as well and so that enhanced like the the future of you know doing fertility treatments um, we did one less invasive one um, that didn't work and then we did IVF which is like the big one which is like twenty thousand dollars and all these shots and you're basically a pincushion by the end and then at the end of that, we only had one egg, which was like not good IVF results basically. And so, um, we, um, they call it pushed. We pushed that egg in and then it didn't work. Um, and so that was, you know, just that, that time was really hard. And I think that was when it was like, okay, this is not going to be easy for us. And even our doctor was like, you guys will probably only get pregnant through fertility treatments. Like, I'm just going to lay that out. And then we were like, well, can we expect the same results with IVF again? Like we would only get one egg. And he was like, probably he's like with your mixture, probably. And we were like, Ooh, mixture kick. Um, cool. So that was when we kind of were like, all right, let's have the conversation of where we want to go. Do we want to do this again? Or do we want to adopt? I think when we were getting started with IVF and infertility treatments, I just had no concept of infertility at all. I grew up, you know, I grew up, I feel fairly normal. I don't don't feel like I was like sheltered as a child towards the reality of life and all of its, you know, difficulties and things like that. No concept of infertility whatsoever. I'd never thought about it. I thought, oh yeah, maybe once in a blue moon, there's a couple out there who can't have kids, but that's incredibly rare or, or struggling with it was incredibly rare. So I just had no concept of it and I had no idea of even the procedures that go along with it. So IVF, all that type of stuff. I thought it was like, well, if you struggle, there's this magic, you know, silver bullet of IVF and then, then it'll work and you're, and you're good after that. Um, but even getting into it, even learning that's not the case. There are so many more, you know, integral, you know, there's a lot of tiny parts within that and it's more of a process. So we were learning in a lot of ways about infertility as we were going through it. To answer your question, I don't know if there ever was a moment where we thought we're infertile. Maybe maybe in the beginning when we both got diagnosed with diagnosable fertility issues, there was this sense of, oh, we're struggling with infertility. Um, but it was probably, you know, years in, you know, a couple of years in, we're like, oh, wow, okay, this is official. We're officially struggling. Um, and I, and it, we're struggling with fertility issues. So I think that like at that point, we kind of started to realize. Um, but once, I think for me, I realized that IVF wasn't this one and done type thing. It really is a process. It really does take a long time. I think our minds, for me, at least I know, my mind started to to drift to, well, what are the... What are the other options for growing a family that we're open to? And we had always been open to adoption. We had talked about adoption before and we loved adopted people. And we just thought what a great way to, to, um, yeah, just what a great thing to do as a person and contribute to society and help someone and, and be part of that whole thing. We learned that was, you know, like my more innocent idea of like what adoption was, but that pulled us 
away from, you know, after our first cycle into the adoption world fairly quickly. Most people do more than one IVF cycle. We, we had only done one, but, but usually people are doing, what do you say, like two or three at least? Yeah. The doctor encourages you to do two or three yeah. because they're like, you're going to get the best results. I'm like, oh, that's $60,000. Uh, cool. Yeah. Right. That, that was like a very tangible issue for us too is we just didn't have the money to do more than one. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is so expensive. And that's one of the first shocks to the system, too, is reality of the cost. Um, you know, this is we've had a few infertility conversations up to this point with the podcast, but those have all ended with those success stories or that magic bullet. I like how you said that, but that isn't the case for everybody. And I think that that is another shock to the system. Was there an emotional toll on your relationship at that point? Did it play a factor with just how you guys mesh together? Yeah, great question. You know, when we got together, we had, you know, I don't know, a lot of people do this, but we had conversations about kids before we got married. We knew that we both wanted to have kids before we got married. I would even go as far to say is that it was part of what brought us together in marriage. And it was wow. that like unified idea that we wanted to have a family and that we wanted to grow our family and, and we wanted to be young parents. I think it's a, it sometimes could be a deal breaker when you're with someone and they don't want to have kids, you know? Not that that's a bad thing, but if, if you're together and you're having this conversation of, well, I view my life as having no kids or I don't want to do that. I don't even want to try. I'd rather just adopt or whatever it is. That could be something in a relationship that someone says, well, this is something I want to do. So it's kind of a deal breaker for me. So all of a sudden you introduce two years into your relationship, this thing that is essentially a deal breaker in a relationship that, oh, we can't have kids. And it's just sprung upon you. So it really calls into question. I think it's difficult, yes, from an emotional and psychological standpoint. But for me, it's difficult in a philosophical way of thinking you know it's like it's this idea that like our whole relationship was kind of had this baked into it now it's now it's not there anymore so what are we where are we going is this still going to work do we still want to do this and that was the hardest part to to bring into ourselves exactly i had girlfriends that broke up with guys because they didn't want to have kids right you know what i mean yeah. and now it's like we're both faced with like well are we in love enough to keep going? Like, is this, if this is it, yeah. I remember we had a conversation, if this is it, are we okay? And luckily for us in our relationship, we could both easily answer yes. But we know lots of people and in our, you know, nonprofit, people are always reaching out to me. And the, one of the saddest things that I hear all the time is women telling their husbands, it's okay if you want to leave me. It's okay. if oh, wow. I have you know heard I mean? that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, that's just so sad. But also to Doug's point is that, yeah, sometimes that's the reason that you're together is that you both are unified in this idea and now you're not. So what do you do with that? And where do you go from there? Yeah. I mean, you, you touched on the, the whole idea of deal breakers. And I think that usually in relationships, you know, it, especially with relationships now, I think people are having some of those bigger conversations. But I would imagine that a lot of times these conversations sort of stop at do you want kids or not? And maybe it goes to the next level, which is, do you want them to be our own ideally in the dream world? Or do you want to adopt? But I don't feel like we're, we're really even thinking in a preventative way, like running through the scenarios of like, you know, basically like what you would do if you were starting a business. Like what are all these yeah. different situations or scenarios? <laughs> totally. Yeah, nobody yeah. does that, right? No, no it's no, just like, I didn't oh, you do want that. kids, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, good, we're good. And yeah. how many, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's That's the question, right? It's not if you, it's like, you want three? Oh, I want two. And that, you know, yeah. it's never like, <laughs> that's like the how extent. many rounds of IVF are you willing to do to get our third kid? You know, that's yeah. No one talks about that. 
It's not like a whole choose your own adventure, like, oh, I'm going to go to page 10 now, and if, if that happens, then what? I think that that's like, it's cool to know that sort of, you know, baked into your relationship was this a desire to have a family. So by default, you did have maybe the shared grit to be able to then embark on the journey that you did, which was adoption, right? And and you talked about how IVF is is obviously expensive. And I think it's interesting that doctors encourage two to three. I'm sure that that increases their odds. You know, it almost makes me feel like it's like in their favor to set you up for that so that you're setting yourselves up for success and them too. But adoption is, I mean, how expensive is adoption in in comparison to IVF? I have no comprehension. I just know that that's also a whole, a whole world that um, requires some, some spend. I feel like we went to shock to more shocking. Like we went from like IVF is really expensive. Oh, adoption's really expensive too. You know what I mean? And so that was its own own and it, thing. And adoption varies. It could be it, it could be twelve thousand dollars. It could be a hundred thousand. I mean, it really could at, at any level. The thing that got me was and the thing that brought me over to the adoption world, which turned out to be false not to bury the lead. But when we came over to the adoption world, I thought, well, if we spend twenty grand I know, I know we'll get a, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have a child at that point because we'll have adopted one. And <laughs> I, I just thought, well, there's nothing that could go wrong, right? You know, yeah. IVF, compared to IVF is like, yeah, yeah IVF, more of a yeah. tossing the you're dice. Really, totally. And you're giving yourself an option, right? Like IVF is an at bats, so to speak. It's like, you know, it may work, it may not work. To me, adoption was, was the guarantee. It was like, well, we pay 20 grand at the end. There's this child waiting for us at the end, which wasn't the case for us. You know, it was it was really just another at bat, which I did not think. Um, and I think that's a very common misconception. Yeah. And people say that to us all the time. Well, there's plenty of kids to adopt in the world. You know what I mean? Or it's a guarantee. If you throw money at it, something will happen. And that's just not true. That's just not true. It's not an easy fix. So where did you start, I guess, is kind of what, like, where would you start to adopt a child? <laughs> yeah, great question. Well, we just put ourselves out there, actually, um, and started a group me um, because also I think it's interesting, too, because people want to give to adoption. I think no one wants to do the IVF because they're like, oh, they, they don't know how much it is. It's like you know a GoFundMe that you did. It's yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah, or, I'm sorry. It's a GoFundMe. I said group me. Let's go find me. We started to go find me, put ourselves out there on Facebook and Instagram. And very quickly, my cousin, I'm at work. My cousin calls me and says, there's a little boy that I know that needs to be adopted. And I'm like, uh, okay, what? Like need more information. And basically he was with a family who, um, was going to adopt him and they ended up having some marriage issues. And so she was like, this boy is so amazing. He needs a good home. And so ran into my cousin and because my cousin just saw our Facebook video that we were open and wanting to be open to adoption, she was like, I know a family. And the, the mom at the time was like, really, you know, someone. And it was like, yep. Nine days later, he was living with us. So, I mean, it was very quick, but that is, we also have learned is extremely (laughs) rare for something like that to happen. So really we were, you know, going to like a service, like, uh, what would you call the, you could go to yeah, an an adoption service, you know, something like that. But for us, it was interesting because our first experience in adoption was an immediate random side connection that ended up working out. Uh, as you'll hear, probably we'll talk a little bit later our next adventures into adoption were way different 
But we were kind of thought like, oh, adoption is easy. You yeah, know? and from, he was so from easy. our first one. It was like, well, we just said on literally on social media that we wanted to adopt, and then boom, it happened. You know, in like less than a month. So we were like, wow, this is this is like paradise. You know, you just there's kids out there that need homes, and and this is how you do it. And we learned a lot, you know, going forward after that. But yeah. So how do you market yourself as? parents like i'm i'm fascinated by the idea of basically creating a a pitch to you know come into our home and join our partnership like were you guided in that and what what was important factors to share about the experience that you provided as parents I'll say two things. Um, the first time we opened ourselves up, all we the the wording that we said literally word for word was "we're adopting." That's that all it. we said. Um, we just opened ourselves up to say that we're open to um, children who need homes. Th- that's literally it. Um, the second time, in the third and fourth, the, the other times that we tried to adopt, we actually went further and further down that road of exactly what you're saying of having to market ourselves. And the point that actually really drove myself, me personally, away from private adoption was working with someone who was pushing us really, really hard in that area and basically saying, you're not marketing yourself well. You're not doing this. What You're not doing this enough. You're not putting yourself out there. This this picture needs to be better. This wording needs to be better because it's not going to hook this person. And I just... I got... You know, I hate to say it, but I got a little grossed out by the whole thing and thought, this isn't, I don't want, I don't need to sell myself or I'm not trying to convince anyone to give me their baby. That's not what, what we're trying to do. So it varies. It varies from sometimes you just need to open yourself up and the situation is there. At other times, I think people are pushed too far to quote unquote market themselves too much. Like I remember a lady telling us one time, like you need to think about every single aspect of your life because you never know. You might be wearing a Mickey Mouse t-shirt and the girl, the the birth mom could go, oh, I love Mickey Mouse. Let's choose them. You know what I mean? Like, like it could be politics. Totally. Right. Yeah. The totally. right color tie or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so I was just like, that just feels weird. It just feels weird. But mm. for me, I was so desperate to have an infant. And what I've learned through therapy and learned through my um, growing is that that was my infertility was I, I wanted adoption to solve my infertility. So for me, I was like, that's weird. Market yourself. That's weird. I don't care. I'll do anything. I'll like yeah. sell my soul so I can like get this infant so I can feed myself and, and, and heal myself. Um, so that was probably where a lot of our mistakes came from was out of me that desperation of wanting to fix my infertility and wanting to solve my infertility and then kind of putting that on Doug to be like solve it solve it solve it for me and then that pushed Doug so we both were kind of entering our second phase of adoption after we have our son unhealthy and I think that was from our infertility not healing from that not letting that go and looking for adoption to solve that for me yeah how quick was that transition? And I would imagine some of the pieces of that and the layers of that too are the difference between adopting a newborn baby versus adopting a two or three-year-old baby. Yeah, because our son came to us at 18, 18 months. And so, yeah, so it was great and I loved him and I was so like, we had a great connection and we he fit into our family so well. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, but the next one's got to be an infant. The next one's got to be an infant. I want to know. I remember saying, I want to know a child their whole life. Like I want to be there for every single thing. 
And so yeah, to name the child, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We've never been able to name any of our kids. And I've had a name that I've loved since I was, you know, seven years old for my grandma, um, Ruby. And so I always had this dream of doing that. And so I think that, yeah, it was just a very unhealthy mindset. <laughs> That's what I would say. I'm struck by the this like sitting here like what simple yet monumental things that so many of us as as parents uh you know in in the process of having it with our partner take for granted because mm-hmm. you know I had that that journey where I was like I knew that name and I got to see that come to fruition and so I just have such compassion for that desire of course mm-hmm. and 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 that even though 18 months is, is really young, it's starkly, I mean, you know, the, every week a a baby changes. So it's starkly different from, from an infant. Um, I currently have a 16 month old, so I'm trying to like the words that he's learning. It's like two or one or two every day, you know, like Mm -hmm. those are the things, right? Exactly. And everything that I lost, I held closer. So I was like, I was okay being like, okay, I'm never going to give birth. Okay. Let me grieve that. Okay, I'll probably never be able to breastfeed my child. Okay, let me grieve that. And then everything else, I'm like, but it's got to be an infant. But I want to name it. I just like held onto it so, so, so tight. Those became like must-haves. That sounds weird. I Not must-haves. But they they became things that were like, – they gave you hope. You know, they yeah. gave us hope. Like, well, you know, we, we can't do this, but we're going to hold on to hope even harder that we can name this child or that we'll be there at the birth and all that kind of stuff. And – that was a bad idea. I think that <laughs> led to a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, just to be totally honest, that that um, we weren't really fully embracing our reality at that point. We were we were just trying to kick the can down the road a little bit and push off some of the pain of having to grieve that we were infertile. And and right. if we would have really done that and embraced who we were in our reality in the beginning, I think we would have we would have saved ourselves a lot of of pain, honestly, and a lot a lot of pain, a lot of money a lot of situations that we put ourselves into because we were desperate that we shouldn't have put ourselves into and it's all because we weren't really willing to look at one another and say this is our story yeah how long was that i mean i'm sure that part of the answer is it's ongoing right but at Mm -hmm. the same time like was there a transition moment of like whoa these are things that are causing lots of pain that we've not yet dealt with we should really tackle them was there like a wake-up moment or was it just one piece at a time? I know what it is. Oh, I know mine is. <laughs> I know what Wake it is. Wake up moment. Wake up moment is when we were 30 grand in debt. Uh, still in debt. Still in debt. 30 grand in debt. I remember this. I was 30 grand in debt standing in this like random street in downtown LA having just literally paid six months rent for a birth family to stay in this house that they left in the middle of the night. They bailed on us in the middle of the night. They totally had tricked us and, you know, we had thought that things were going to go through and they were kind of just playing this thing along to see how much they could kind of wow. really get out of Jesse and I, um, and, and not even to blame them, but just, we were overextending ourselves like crazy. And I remember going, we are out of debt. I remember I had just come two days earlier from the bank and the bank was like, we will not give you any more money. Stop asking for money. And I just remember like our credit cards are maxed out. Everything we're out of money and our, this family had just left and I'm standing in LA thinking, Oh my gosh, what the hell are we doing? Mm-hmm. What do we, it was like this like moment where the heavens cracked open and I thought, Oh my gosh, we have been fighting from a place of trauma, not health. 
And that was yes. the moment for me that I realized, oh, we got to turn this around. And I remember that same family was pregnant with a girl. And so all my things were like, oh, I get to name Ruby. I get to have a gender reveal. And I did. And I remember having the gender reveal and it not solving it and fe- still feeling like that was weird. Like that didn't solve what I was hoping for it to solve. You know what I mean? And I think that was because we were completely not listening to ourselves is that day that we had the gender reveal, we had just met with this family and they basically berated us with the most random, inappropriate questions. And it's like, we should have driven home and been like, we're done. Like, this is not okay. Like we should be listening to ourselves. So even those things that I got it like just didn't solve because we were just like, it's okay. We'll just get a baby by the end of this. Maybe this is what's supposed to be like, you know what I mean? And now looking back, it's like, that's not what it's supposed to be like at all. That's not at all. Well, it, it makes me think of like when you're in a position of wanting something that someone has. And so you feel like you're in a negotiation and that you need to, there is a desire to easily overextend because you're like, you have something we want and it checks off all the boxes and and how old was your son at the time? He was three and a half. Three about and a half. three, yeah, yeah. When you started yeah. the the process to get a second child, yeah, maybe three. We started, and then yeah. we found them. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when he was three and a half. And that that's what uh, what I goes into what I was saying earlier is I don't want to talk anyone into giving me their baby. That's not to me. That's not what adoption is. It should never be that. You know that like you know, hey, so we want a baby, you have one, let's make this work. That feels gross to me. Um, there are there are situations where people can't care for their children and they make the incredibly difficult, wise, loving, and difficult decision to offer their child up for adoption and hopefully it goes to a really loving situation. But we were having a hard time finding that. It, we found it, this is what's hard for us, is we found it incredibly quickly with our son and that was a really great situation. And we, and we love all of the people who were involved in that. Um, and we were so happy to have been there and been able to serve that family and him. We were having a hard time finding that again. It, you know, it was more the, the other situation where we were, felt like we were talking people into adoption. And that I didn't like that at all. So then the, the second one, and so did you do another GoFundMe page? Or did you then you approached it from an agency side? Can you walk us through that? We yeah I yeah so let me so we have <laughs> this is where so, it gets a little this dark. Is where it gets complicated and a little interesting is we did raise money again and people so graciously supported us which is amazing um, but we re- we really ran the gamut I would say of things that you could do we used an adoption agency we used an adoption facilitator we used an adoption lawyer and we used an adoption lawyer that had a facilitator attached to it so we so there is not an option within the adoption world that we have not tried (laughs) um and i didn't really like any of them uh they were all difficult honestly i love lawyer at the end of the day i loved the lawyers the most whoa (laughs) so that's how backwards the adoption world (laughs) yeah we don't hear that there's a quote It's true though. It's I love that guy, though. Tim. Yeah, at, at the end of of it, I felt like the adoption attorneys were the most straightforward and really honest about the process. Uh, we used a facilitator who, if you've never heard of what an adoption facilitator is, is it's um, someone who's unlicensed, unregulated um, person who basically advertises you 
to prospective uh, parents who want to give their children up for adoption. For us, that was really difficult because they didn't really make sure these people wanted to give their children up for adoption. Um, they, I don't think they did a necessarily great job of really painting the picture of what adoption is. So we were getting lots of different calls of people who said, hey, you know, I want to give my child up for adoption, um, and I chose you. I saw your profile, and I'm in. And then about a week in, we were like, do they even know what adoption is? Are they even really serious about this? And we had probably four or five misfires of people saying they wanted to and then it not working out. And we were, you know, so invested and so ready to go. It was so painful each time that they said, oh, no, you know, we're not going to do it. I thought, why? Did we go through all this effort? Why, you know, why did we do that? And we got tricked. We, people were trying to trick us constantly, you know, sending us like, here's a picture of us pregnant. And it wasn't really them. It's like two different pictures of two different people. We're like, what is going on? One girl, one person, I was like, that looks like a stock photo to me. And so I sent it to my girlfriend who's like the internet, like will find anything on the internet. And I was like, find this person. What is this? And she was like, that's a stock image. Like, and she mm-hmm. took it and sewed it to me and dug on. I was like, oh my gosh, like. It, well, the best way catfishing in yeah, that world. The best huh? way to, I feel like describe a facilitator is it's basically doing the handshake for you. You're an adoptive parent. There's a birth mom. Here you go. You don't have to live in the same state. Our facilitator one lived in California, but then when we did it again, our second time using the facilitator, she lived in like North Carolina, and the and some of the birth moms that she had was like Texas and Arizona. So it's like you're not even in the same state. Like. It's all through the phone. It just like, is like there's so much that could go wrong. That's what I would say. And in our case, every single thing went wrong. And you pay the facilitator in advance. Wow. So you pay her to do the golden handshake kind of for you. And then she kind of goes, great. You guys are connected. Great. Go call your lawyer. He'll walk you through the whole thing. And the lawyer is just going to give you like, I don't know. Yeah, that sounds good. Let me know when the baby's here. Like the lawyer's not going to, you know, walk you through, even though he's, they were great and they're going to give you advice. But and it's just to clarify and a caveat, I guess this is just our perspective. Yeah, people have different perspectives, and some people use facilitators. Everything works out great, and they love it, and it couldn't be better. You know, the first time they get matched with someone, and it's wonderful. Or they use an agency or or a lawyer. So this is just our experience. Um, But from my perspective, what I saw was that the facilitation matches that we were getting were were really odd. They, they didn't feel like people who really wanted to give their child up for adoption or they really hadn't really counted the cost of what that meant or they weren't in the right headspace to actually do it. The, the situations that we were getting were people calling us and saying, I want to give my baby up for adoption. I chose you. I want I want you to do it, but I need a place to stay tonight. Can you wire me this much money tonight? And this was after our situation in L.A. where we had really done that for a family. We had really paid for them to live for like six months. And and Jesse and I were just like, nope. I don't know. We just don't feel comfortable doing that. We don't feel comfortable just wiring you money without knowing who you are or even really knowing if you want to do this. So it was like the fourth or fifth time that that happened where we, where we were like, I don't know if adoption in this way is going to end up working out for us. Then we got matched with a facilitator and a birth mom that actually looked like it was going to work out. She didn't want any money from us. She called me from, you know, doctor's visits. I heard the baby's heartbeat. You know, it just really, really, really felt good. But to go with Doug's point, it's like kind of when someone is getting matched with a facilitator on a birth mom side, it's kind of like, I don't know, I've been thinking about this. I just wanted to get some info. Mm. And so she is not 100% in when she gets matched with you. So you're left to kind of 
you know, help her see if she wants to do this. And if you're coming from an unhealthy place in myself, it's like, of course, I'm going to try to convince her to give up her adoption because it has to do with me and it's solving my, my issues and my problem. And so she was actually really great and we had a positive thing, but she would sometimes call us and almost want us to help her decide if she should. And I'm like, help her decide if she should. This is just so wrong. And so that was a really big turning point for me was when we were, so we had just had that situation with LA. We took some time off to like think about that and grieve. And I was in therapy at the time. And so was Doug. And then we stepped into it again. And then with her, it just felt really positive. It just felt really good. And it was a month before she was supposed to give birth. And so we went out to dinner to Ruth's Chris and at Bruce Chris, they always a steakhouse around here. Yeah. It's, it's like they always bring out the dessert of like, why are you here? And we had told the guy we're here to celebrating our adoption. And so, she, <laughs> so he brings out the dessert of the, the creme brulee and wrote congratulations on it. Literally Doug gets a buzz on his phone and the birth mom had text him that she's changing her mind and she wants to keep the baby. She Literally. Bas- she basically said, Hey, Sorry to do this over text, but I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. I'm not going to go through with the adoption. At the literal exact time, they come out with a piece of creme brulee that says congratulations on it, and they put it on the table. It was this like moment where the whole world would came crashing down and we're like in this is the weirdest context of celebrating something that just fell through. It was horrible. Yeah. I think I just told Doug, I have to leave. We have to leave. I have to go home. I have to go home now. I think the waiter <laughs> thought we got a divorce, like in yeah. that moment or something. Because <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to be waiting at the car. Like, you have to pay the bill and meet me outside. Like, I can't yeah. sit here with all these people and I just I have to go. And that was the darkest weekend I think we've had. Yeah. Was that weekend. I think it was a Friday night. Well, and I remember just feeling like the world is crashing in on me. And that was a big turning point where I was like, yes, it sucks. That sucked to have the birth mom change her mind. But what is it in me that is making this like I can't breathe, I can't, th- I can't see the light, I can't, you know what I mean? Like nothing. I was in such a dark place, such a dark place that I think that was the turning point for for me to be like, I think I need to go to therapy and really think about what's going on with me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like so much of the tension in this process is there's like a transaction. So that's where like the marketing, finding the negotiator, there's like this transaction, but then, but then the humanity of the whole thing and the emotion that comes with that is just so intense and so big. And, and, you know, for a birth mom to have to be, they need an outlet to process the, that kind of information you turned into her therapist, which is not healthy for anybody, you know, and then you can't blame her for like, that that's a good decision hopefully that she was able to keep the baby that she had this connection and she made that i have very close friends that have had three successful adoptions they just had their third mm-hmm. birth adoption but they had a a failed adoption where it was failed 2 days after the birth like everything was perfect they were mm-hmm. at the hospital and then 2 days afterwards no i changed my mind and so again just like this unbelievably devastating thing but also mm-hmm. For them, like as they process something that they were weirdly happy about too, like they needed, yeah, it just so complex. That's why I think language is so important. Whenever we talk about our failed adoptions online, I always say she decided to parent her child. I always say that because I'm like, mm. 
because I think sometimes in our story, it can be like we paint the birth mom in a bad light. I, I, I know a lot of birth moms who are amazing and, you know, and I think that sometimes they can be painted in this like, how dare they keep their kid? And you're like, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> keep their kid. It's their kid. You know what I mean? So I think that's why language is so important, you know, in the adoption world. Well, as you can hear, this story has many moments of intensity and intense is probably not even the right word. So we'll pause here for today and pick back up next week with the second half with Jesse and Doug's story. Have such a great week. Be well. The Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify. Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host, Happy Hours, on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast. <laughs>